On this episode of Trading Camp, we interview Derek Olinsmith, a senior trader with T3 Trading Group. He shares his journey from Wall Street to prop trading, details the daily preparations that lead to his success, and drops some valuable tips and tricks he's learned through his 15-year trading career. A legal disclaimer from Derek and T3 is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Scooter, the next generation of trading tools that will replace everything you know about trading. Built by engineers for the retail trader, Rocket Scooter's revolutionary algorithm is the first of its kind. It uncovers institutional positions and reveals market maker risk and hedging in real time using their AI scanner and algorithmic charting. Rocket Scooter has invented 15 unique indicators that predict high volume before it happens, allowing you to visualize price levels where big money is most interested. There's nothing like it. To see how Rocket Scooter is changing the game for retail traders, check out their three-month pro trial. Right now, they are offering three months of Rocket Scooter Pro for only $35 a month, knocked down from the original price of $179 a month. Take advantage of this monster deal by heading over to the link in the show notes and get started using Rocket Scooter today. Trading Camp has partnered with Elite Trader Funding, a proprietary trading firm focused on giving traders the opportunity to profit from the markets without risking their own capital. ETF offers a range of evaluations which test your abilities as a trader. When you pass, you'll be able to choose from funded accounts ranging from $10,000 to $300,000. The only risk is a monthly flat fee. The ETF community provides an excellent learning environment and networking opportunities for those serious about taking their game to the next level. We are excited to offer our listeners 30% off of any trading evaluation on ETF's site except for Fast Track. Use the link in the show notes to start your journey as a funded trader today. This episode is brought to you by Kane Capital, a trading community over 25,000 strong featuring live trading alerts and educational content. Link in the notes to join for free today. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheel of dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding the other day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCP Trading Camp Pod episode 80 about to get underway. It's a big one. We're 80 episodes in. Who would have thought? Not me. 80 deep, Noah. How does it feel? It feels amazing. I honestly had no clue that we would that we would even get this far, but it doesn't seem like 80 um, episodes. It, you know, we've had um, 80 really great conversations, and I'm sure that we're about to have another one today. Excited to get into it with Derek. Let's do it. Derek, welcome to the show, brother. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Very excited to have you on. So, as you know, we like to interview traders. Most of the traders that we find are from within our community of Fintwit. You are a little bit different from the majority of the traders that we interview because you are a professional trader. And so this is a really exciting opportunity for us to get to pick the brain of somebody who's been in the business for a long time and who likely does things a little bit differently than, say, no one I do or most of our guests do. But Derek, it's a pleasure having you on, and I'm very, very excited to hear about your story. Awesome. Thanks again. All right. So 
as we typically do when we start these episodes, when we start these interviews, we just want to hear about how you got into trading. So if you don't mind going into your background, how you got involved in the stock market, how you got involved in trading to begin with. Sure. So trading and markets have really been a fascination for me my entire life. If you want the the, the real full story, it, it actually starts when I was a kid. Um, my dad owned a couple 7-Elevens. That's, that's what he did for a living. And when I was a kid after school on weekends, I would find myself at his stores because I didn't really have anywhere else to go. Both my parents were, were working and uh, he used to pay me to do odd jobs. He'd say, here's a dollar, go pick up all the, the litter in the parking lot. Here's a dollar, go, go stack the milk in the, in, the, in the freezer area. And for whatever reason as a kid, I just loved to accumulate the paper. I didn't want to go out and spend it in the candy aisle or anything like that. It hit a point where I had a, I had a draw full of single dollar bills, probably over 500 bucks or so. And my mother introduced me first to the concept of, of interest rates. This was back when you could open up a savings account and get an interest rate that was probably, you know, four or five, five and a half percent, something like that when I was a kid. And then shortly thereafter, she introduced me to the concept of, of the stock market. She said, you know, you could be a partial owner in a company with this with this money that you saved and earned. And she kind of helped me out a little bit. She was like, you know, take a look at a couple of, of companies. And she showed me Nike. And she showed me Jenko jeans. I don't know if you guys know Jenko jeans. You guys might be a little bit too young for that. You should 100% do a Google search for Jenko jeans and check those out. And if you look at them, then you'll you'll see that it was it was pretty lucky that I chose Nike. And it was just because I like the sneakers. And from that point, the stock, you know, did really well. It was going up, and I became fascinated by the fact that. I used to have to do these dirty jobs, picking up cigarette butts in a parking lot for this money. And now this money was making money itself. So really, that was, I was probably 12, 13 years old at that point. And that really began my, my fascination with markets. Uh, fast forward, went to college. I went to, to NYU, uh, studied economics, business and philosophy, really decided I wanted to break out onto Wall Street after I graduated. I think I declared my major in, in 2006, which was a year of record Wall Street bonuses. And then I graduated in May of 2008, right in the heart of the financial crisis. So here I am now applying for jobs. I knew that I wanted to be a trader, but I was competing with the guy from Lehman Brothers with 25 years of experience who was applying for entry level jobs because he couldn't get, couldn't get work and needed to be able to feed his family. I got a little bit lucky with an internship that I had with a company that worked in, in distressed markets. So they are actually expanding at a, at a rapid pace as a result of the financial crisis when basically everything else was imploding. They gave me an offer to be a, a full-time junior sales trader. And I, I honestly was the only job offer I had. I took it. I did that for a couple of years. Honestly, didn't love it. Wasn't really right for me. The, the concept of Sales trading professionally, I think, is a little bit of a misnomer. It's much more sales than it is trading. I was on the phone all the time with different institutional clients trying to get them to match on price for some of these products that became illiquid as a result of the financial crisis. Uh, basically, just looking to create a commission for the company that I was working for. I wasn't involved in the decision making, the risk. Uh, you know, I, wa I wanted to know why I'm dealing with all these intellectual institutional investors. Why is it that this guy thinks that this is a great opportunity to come in and buy this distressed product at a fire sale, but this other really intelligent investor, 
uh, will do anything to get it off their books. So, you know, long story short, I decided to move away from sales trading and I got into prop trading and I joined T3 in 2010. And the main motivation there was I, I wanted to be the decision maker. I wanted to be the one that was studying markets, that was executing in the markets. I wanted to decide how to manage risk, how to manage reward. And that really is the beginning of my true trading journey. You know, I had some experience investing through college and, and even since I was a kid, had some experience as, as a sales trader. Moving into prop trading was a real rude awakening that I honestly didn't know very much about how trading and markets work at all. Uh, I can honestly say that everything I've learned about trading, I've learned over the course of the now 13, working towards 14 years, I, I, I've been with T3. And it's been a great journey where I've started from an entry-level prop trader with the company to at this point, I'm, I'm a senior trader at the company. I also manage business development for the company. And I directly manage T3's largest group of prop traders. So in addition to the fact that I'm still a trader, first and foremost, I got my positions up on another screen right now that I'm keeping an eye on right now as I'm having this conversation with you guys. Uh, in addition to doing that, I, I directly manage, I think a little over 150 professional traders at this point. So it's, uh, it's been quite the journey. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. I want to, I want, <laughs> Ryan has a pick of the jeans. Why don't you throw the jeans up here, Ryan? So we could, uh, so we can see them. <laughs> my goodness. Jeez. That's where it was I at. Mean, that, that, that's what was cool. That I mean, I saw a couple of people wearing those yesterday in New York. I mean, I, <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I wanted to, um, before we dive a little bit more into T3, because I definitely want to talk about that, obviously, um, I want to touch on the point that you made about how um, being a sales trader and being a, you know, a trader for yourself or for a prop firm is, is very different. And, you know, I, I think that that is something that people sort of get a bit confused, um, because at least for me, I had a I had a similar introduction to trading where my uncle worked on Wall Street. He was a sales trader. And I was like, oh, I want to be a trader. Like, I, I want to do what you do. And I don't think that I fully understood until I, I actually visited him like twice and I still didn't really get it. And now I have some friends who are, you know, actually sales traders on, on, on Wall Street and work at Bank of America. And I actually got to visit Bank of America several months ago. And it, it really drove home the point how like, you know, what they do in terms of their, their job for their clients and what we do as traders who are trying to, you know, profit for ourselves and make money for ourselves or for whatever institution that we're working for. Um, is a little bit different. So why don't you dive into some of the differences that you had realized uh, when you finally, you know, broke out onto Wall Street and you, you became a sales trader? And, you know, why didn't it necessarily mesh with what you thought it was going to be? Sure. So, you know, I, I, again, it was the only option I had. So that, that's kind of why I jumped into it. But, um, I, you know, similar to you, you know, they, they don't teach trading in school. So it doesn't really matter what school you went to or where you graduated from. You kind of have to learn this yourself, either through doing a lot of research on your own or by getting out in the workforce. So, uh, you know, started as, as a sales trader and look, it was a good experience. I learned a lot of really important skills that I think are underrated, like how to write a good professional email, how to, you know, how to be on the phone, th things like that. And those are good skills to have. But I didn't learn anything about about trading in markets that that didn't matter. I mean, you know, the reason why a lot of like funds and stuff go to institutions and utilize sales traders is usually because there's some sort of arrangement in place where they can get research back from that company. Otherwise, most of these companies, they can just go execute on their own the exact same way that we execute more or less, you know, electronically through their their clearing firm or, or however it is that they're set up. Um, 
but you come to a sales trader to get, you know, some more color, to get some, some, some research information, things like that. But at the end of the day, you're on the phone with the buy side and the sell side, and you're trying to tell them a little bit of what they want to hear in order to be able to get that transaction done. Because another thing that I've really learned over the years in this business is show me what someone's incentives are, and I'll show you what they're most likely to do. My incentive was to create a commission for the company that I worked for so that I could make more money. I could get a good bonus at the end of the year. So, you know, as much as you're trying to provide good color to your buy side and your sell side, you also want to provide them the information that's actually going to get the transaction done so that you can, you know, make that commission for, for the company. And, you know, it's just not, it's just not really my interest. I, I, like I said before, I want to be the decision maker. That, that's what I want to be. I want to be the person who's studying the market is being the person who's putting that risk on and, and living with the consequences. And, you know, we all have trades that fail and, and you have to deal with that. And then we have trades that work and you have to be able to manage reward properly on that. So I'm very interested in what your mentality was when you switched from your initial role, you're coming out of college, you have a solid job, but then moving over to a prop trading firm, did that feel like a step backwards to go forwards? What was your pay like? Because I know that that's a very difficult step that a lot of traders have to make, especially when you go to school for four years, you went to NYU, you got your degree, and then two years out of school, you're just deciding, okay, I want to go be a trader. I want to trade for myself. What was your mentality in order to take that step? And what was it like when you first started working as a real trader? Sure. So it, it's a risky decision getting into prop trading, trying to trade professionally, even if you're doing it through a retail account. It's, it's a very risky decision. Uh, my I had a salary job. You know, it wasn't wasn't a huge salary, but it was it was a, I had a salaried position, you know, end of the year bonus. I had security and moving into prop trading. I was given all that up. I was given all that up to make a percentage of profits that I'm actually able to make from my, from my own trading. There's a steep learning curve. Uh, at entry level traders, even the people who become very successful, it's very rare that you see them make money the first few months that they're that they're in the business. Even really the first six months that they're in the business, you're usually not seeing any consistent profitability. And, and I'm talking about the people that actually become successful. There's a whole lot of people that attempt to to get involved in this business who they're on for whatever reason they're unable to put it together and, and don't actually become successful. Uh, so for me, I certainly did my research. I knew that I was getting into a business that was much higher risk, higher reward, because the flip side is, yeah, I'm giving up that salary, but that salary is also a cap. You know, if you're, if you're going to go work for one of the big banks or whatever, and you do a real good job and you work your way up the ladder, you know, Hey, if I do a good job, you know, this year I can make $80,000 next year, I can make $90,000. Year after that, I can get that promotion, get $125,000. 10 years from now, maybe I can get $250,000. You you know what that is. And again, that provides security, but you also have a cap. On the trading side, sure, now I stepped into a business where I didn't have that security. I gave up benefits. I gave up salary, but I also entered into a business where there is no upside limit to the performance or there's no upside limit to how much money I can make. I mean, as a perfect example, I got the opportunity to start my own trading desk at T3 in 2013. I had been at the company for, for three years as just a trader on my own. And then they gave that opportunity. I feel pretty confident that if I was at you know one of the big banks, as an example, just because of office politics alone, I wouldn't be able to get that sort of opportunity until I'm in the business for, for 10 or 20 years. But the prop trading business is, is really a, a meritocracy. It, it doesn't matter 
what, what your background is or anything else like that. It's all going to be about the decisions that you make and if you're able to, you know, make consistent profits or not. So for me, it was the, the right decision. I made sure that I had, I think it was six months worth of life expenses put aside. So I funded my account. So for, for the prop trading business, the, at least the traditional prop trading business, they typically require incoming traders to fund their account with some of their, their own capital. I came in with what was the minimum at that time of $5,000 of my own money. And uh, I made sure I had six months worth of life expenses saved up because what I, what I made sure that I did, and this is something I always recommend to other people who are first getting started into the business, especially at the entry level, the worst thing you can do for yourself is say, all right, I'm going to become a professional trader. And now it's month one and you say, I got to make $2,000, $3,000 this month, or I'm not going to be able to keep a roof over my head. I'm not going to be able to eat, whatever it is. If you put that sort of pressure on you when you're first getting started in the business, you are setting yourself up for failure. Uh, you're, you're putting stress on your shoulders to make a certain amount of money when what a new trader needs to do is focus 100% on the learning curve. Work your way through that learning curve. Don't worry about you know the small amounts of money that you're, you're making and losing at the beginning of a career. Recognize that if you can learn to make $100 four to five days a week, you can make $1,000 four to five days a week. It's just about doing the same things with larger numbers and then having the psychological capacity to handle those larger numbers. What was your performance like early in your career? So you talked about how the majority of traders that you see aren't profitable in the first six months. I think from what we see, the people we work with, what we do, there are people who never become profitable. That's obvious. But for you, what was your mentality when you were first starting? As you just mentioned, you think it's important for people to focus on the process. Were you very process oriented and were there any speed bumps that you were hitting early on? Yeah. So I started in a very different market environment, you know, getting started in like 2010. I missed the financial crisis, which for most prop traders was actually like the best time ever and the easiest time to make money ever, at least since the, the dot-com bubble. So I had, I had just missed that, came into an environment where everybody was talking about how much money they were making and how much more difficult it had become. But I, it was still a different market environment than we have now. When I first got started, I, I was taught a couple tape reading tricks that no longer work in this day and age in 2023. And I don't teach them to anyone because they no longer work. But when I first got started, I was shown a couple tricks on the tape by a couple people that were more senior to me who had been in the business for a while. And then I took those strategies that were based on tape reading and I created my own rules about risk management and sizing and things like that around it. And that was it. That was all I focused on the first probably couple of years that I was with T3. And off of that, I was able to make smaller amounts of money with, with pretty good consistency almost right away. I got my first paycheck as a trader after my second month. Again, it was it was very small. I don't remember what it was for like $700, something like that as a paycheck, but it was a paycheck. And I'll tell you, I wish so much now, uh, fast forwarding all these years, I wish I had never cashed that 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 paycheck. I wish I, I had it saved somewhere so I could have it up on, on, on the wall. Um, you know, cause it's a pretty good accomplishment getting any paycheck from this business after, after just two months in it. And it was such a small amount of money anyway, but to me back then it was like, I, I needed that. Um, but off of that, I was able to start making money right away. I'll tell you the big challenge for me came about two and a half to three years into my career when that stopped working. 
so like I, I had figured out a strategy for myself. I was, I was adding scale to it over time. I was getting bigger. The PL swings were getting bigger. And then all of a sudden it's the, that strategy stopped working, it, you know, and it's like, okay, you have a red day, whatever people have red days and you have two red days, then you have a week of red days. And after a week of red days, you're saying to yourself, what, what's going on here? Is this just uh, a statistical anomaly where every trade I've taken over the course of the last week hasn't, hasn't come together, that could happen. Or, or did something actually change? And something did change. The market environment changed. The, the, the way execution traders were putting their orders into the equity market that I used to be able to make money off of, they were getting smarter. They were using more intelligent algorithms as uh, for, for, for institutional execution on the trading. And that's what I used to read in the tape and make money off of it. You know, it's funny. If you ask me in 2010 or 2011, if I could only have the level two in the tape to be able to trade or charts. I can't have both. I was to take these charts away. I don't, I don't need this at all. 2023 complete and utter opposite. I don't, I don't even pay for full depth of market anymore in my level two. I still have tape reading skills from back early in my career and they're helpful in certain situations. They're helpful with, with better execution. They're helpful in sometimes in, in news events when the tapes moving extremely fast or after hours, like if I'm trading, an Apple earnings report after hours, those tape reading skills are still important, but it's nothing like it used to be. Now it's all about charts. It's all about technicals. And I really hit a slump there, you know, two and a half, three years into my trading career of, you know, what, what am I going to do? What I've been doing here doesn't, isn't working anymore. And honestly, that's when T3 has been most important to me in my entire trading career. Cause we had guys at the company who've been trading professionally for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, listen, this is what I've been doing. It's, it's not working for me anymore. What are you doing? What's working for you? What adjustments should I make for my own trading? And I did a full 180 on what I was doing. Everything was, was tape focused primarily to the short side, hundred percent day trading, making money off of volatility to now I'm basically going long. I'm going with the trend. Volatility died down. My my holding time frame became much longer. I don't think I held a position overnight my first two or three years of T3. And now I don't think I've gone home flat in probably six or seven years, even vacation, holidays, whatever. I always have positions on. And I found that the longer I've been in this business, the, the longer my overall time horizon has become on, on my trades. Hey, Noah. What do moving averages, RSI, and MACD all have in common? They're all lagging indicators from the 70s with weak ability to predict future price action. Exactly. Modern retail traders need modern trading tools. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Scooter, an artificial intelligence and algorithmic charting tool that predicts where high volume will occur before it happens. That's right. Rocket Scooter's 15 unique indicators help visualize in real time where institutional players are interested on almost any stock and gives you a clear-cut game plan for how to take advantage of the underlying mechanics of the market. A platform like that probably costs a ton of money. Right now, they're offering three months of Rocket Scooter Pro for only $35 a month, knocked down from the original price of $179 a month. Take advantage of this monster deal by heading over to the link in the show notes and getting started using Rocket Scooter today. I had something relatively similar where it was like the beginning of last year. So like the way that I really used to trade was like using like a lot of like indicators, right? Like primarily like moving averages, like intraday stuff. Like, and it was almost too easy to the point where like 
especially like early last year when everything was just selling off, like you could just short anything, right? You could just buy puts on anything, right? Like if I see a, if I see something that's selling off and it's near a moving average, it has some sort of, um, some sort of retracement back to the mean. I'm shorting that every single time. And it would really work like a lot of the time, like very, very often. And then to the point where, you know, towards later last year, things get a little bit more choppy. It's not just one direction for the market, right? Things get a little bit more nuanced. Every stock is not just going down. Um, you have to get a bit more nuanced in your approach of how you're viewing things and how you sort of, you know, tackle the market. And I went through a very similar stretch, um, you know, kind of like you said, where you just, you start to ask yourself, like, is this clearly is not working anymore? Like, is it a, a strategy thing? Is it a, um, like a personal thing? Like, am I not like managing the trades well enough and, or whatever it is? And I think that those times can be so tough for traders, like, especially if you had had a little bit of success, right? I think it's different where if you just had never had success before, then it's not really foreign. But if you're, if you have a string of success for several months, you get really comfortable and almost complacent, right? And that's when the market seems to shift on you, right? When you, when you get just very comfortable doing what you're doing. And I think, um, you know, for me, I, I had to go through that exact same thing where it was like, you have to literally throw everything out. And that's exactly what I did. And it took me several, several months to even get back to some sort of framework that I felt confident in every single day using over and over and over again. But ultimately, had I not done that, I don't think that I would have progressed as a trader to where I am today. Not not even close. I, I still would have been struggling trying to make sense of a strategy that simply just was no longer working for me. Right. And I think um, that that can be so, so difficult um, for traders. And I know that Alejandro actually went through something relatively similar where he wound up changing the way that he trades, right? He wound up moving products completely. He used to trade only options. Now he trades only futures and I'm kind of in that same boat. And I think that um, it can be so stressful, especially like you said, if you really put that pressure on yourself to have to make money on a monthly basis, when those times hit and they're inevitable, from what I understand, it, I've, I've never met any trader who's successful that's never gone through a period like that. And I think that... um that's really where the where the rubber meets the road, right? For for a lot of traders is is that moment right there where whatever it, whatever it was that you were doing is no longer working. How are you going to pull yourself up out of the gutter and figure it out? I think that once you're able to do that, you gain a, another level of confidence because it's like it's not just me sort of manipulating this one little trick that works over and over again. I can be confident that if what I'm doing today stops working, I'm going to be able to figure it out again. And I think that that having that peace of mind is something that's almost necessary for you to, to really evolve and, and grow and scale like you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you hundred percent. If you speak to anybody who's been in this business for a significant period of time, five, 10 plus years, and they tell you that all they've ever known in trading is sunshine and rainbows and success hundred percent of the time, that person is lying to you and you should run in the other direction. Uh, that's part of the business is you have those, Sometimes you got to take a step back in order to take two steps forward. And these last few years in particular, I know a lot of people have just gotten started trading in the last few years since COVID hit. These last few years have been wild. A bunch of different market environments that, that we went through. We went through probably the craziest bubble I've ever had in my 13, 15 year career trading uh, in 2020, 21 there, where you, know, you had these non-profitable, barely revenue producing tech companies going up hundreds of percents in relatively short period, periods of time. And then that completely burst into a, a, a bear market where you had even 
stocks like you know Microsoft and and Facebook pulling back 60 75% and then here we are in in 2023 which has also been a, an interesting environment that it, it, it's constantly evolving you know this year has been like the day-to-day -day volatility has really come down but the intraday volatility has actually been really high considering that like close to close volatility has has come down a lot a lot of people are attributing that to the uh onset of these zero dte options that have started to influence the market i mean you introduce an entirely new product like zero dte one dte options that has never really existed before in markets that, that creates a structural change in how markets actually function and therefore as a trader that that may mean that you need to make adjustments to to what you're doing also so and i spoke to a lot of people in 2021 who were like i got started trading in covid I'm God's gift to trading. You know, I want to talk to T3 about becoming a professional. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's great. Happy to have a conversation with you. But how, how many market environments exactly have you been successful in? Have you been successful in a, in, in a bear market, in a bull market, in a bubble, in low volatility, in high volatility? You know, have you, have you seen all these different environments? And if, if the answer is no, you know, you want to have a little check on your own success at that point because it promised the market's going to come in and humble you at a certain point if you think that you have it all figured out and and you've just shown success in one environment for six months or something like that earlier you had mentioned that two or three years into your career you had sized up the pnl swings were bigger throughout your trading career what are some of the signs you have looked for that have told you, okay, it's now time for me to size up as a trader? It's one of the most difficult things for all traders. And funny enough, when you started sizing up, as you mentioned, two or three years in is when you hit what you called your biggest road bump. So you must have been feeling super confident. And then when things started to turn in the other direction, you were probably losing more money than you had ever lost before during those red stretches. So what is something that you recommend people look for in order as in order to kind of find a sign? OK, I'm improving. It's time for me to size up. And then also, how do you manage your emotions? You personally, when you go through those periods where, OK, it's time to size up and things, the P&L, the numbers are going to start to look larger. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And it's a question I get a lot. Also, the, the key to sizing up is to do it in a small but incremental way and, and do it over over time. Uh, I, I, I promise, you know, this business is so much about psychology and your mindset. Uh, if you go from swinging back and forth $100 a day to swinging back and forth $1,000 a day and 10x those P&L swings, even if you are having success at the $100 a day, you're sizing up so much that the, the P&L, the numbers are going to be so much bigger on your screen than what, you, than what you're used to. It's, it's going to get in your head. It's going to get in your head. And then all of a sudden you're going to make a mistake when you're down $2,500 that maybe you wouldn't have made that mistake when you were down $250 a couple months ago or whatever, before you sized up. So the, the key to sizing up is to size up in a small and incremental way based on success. So I can tell you what I did in the beginning of my career, which is actually not what I recommend to people. And I'll also tell you what I, what I recommend to people. The way I did it, I'm, I'm, I'm an equities trader. I'm, I'm happy to get into why I enjoy trading equities over options and futures if you want to have that conversation as well. I'm an equities trader. When I first got started, uh, they told me you can trade 200 shares at a time. 
So it's like, okay, 200 shares at a time. And then what I did was every time I had a profitable week, I added on 200 shares. So, all right, I was profitable this week. I'm going to 400 shares. Profitable this week, I'm going up to 600 shares. Profitable this week, 800 shares. I actually, by doing that method, I sized up too much too fast, to be honest. I was like very quickly finding myself, you know, trading two, 3,000 share positions when I, when I wasn't really ready for it. That's not what I recommend that people do. That That's what I did. It still has the right thought process of trying to do it small, slowly, based on results and based on success. But I don't, I don't think it's sizing that, that actually matters when it comes to trading. I think it's uh, the, the dollar risk on the trade that you're taking. Because you it, let's say you want to risk $100 in a trade, just using simple examples. You could buy 1,000 shares of a stock and give it $0.10 cents worth of space. Or you could buy 100 shares of a stock and you could give it a full, a full dollar. That's the same $100 worth of risk. But in one case, you're taking 1,000 shares, which can sound like a lot. In another case, you're taking 100 shares. It doesn't sound like as much, but the, but the dollar risk is the same. So what I recommend to people now is start with a, with a baseline amount of risk that you want to put on in a given day. And that should be based on your account size, maybe 2%, probably no more than 5% of what your account is. And that becomes your your daily maximum loss that you give to yourself. So maybe you're working with a $10,000 account and you are giving yourself a 5% maximum loss. So you've got a $500 maximum loss in any given day. Now take that $500 and split it up amongst like four or five trades. Okay. So if we do, you know, five trades, then you've got a hundred dollars that you can allocate for risk on each trade. That's going to total your $500. So if, if the market opens and you're just not seeing the market, right, you're not feeling it, then you have five failed trades in a row. You're like, all right, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not seeing this market right today. I'm cutting myself off at my $500, $500 limit. If things are going well, you're risking an average of $100 a trade. Things are going well. You have a profitable week. Add, add on a small percent to that. You know, add on, you know, an extra, I don't know, like 10% of, of, of risk on top of the max loss. Bring your, bring your $500 maximum loss for the day up to $550. And that probably even keeps the same 5% that we talked about because if you're doing well and you're increasing size based on your incremental success, your account size should be a little bit bigger. So now, you know, that same 5% of your account went from $500 to $550. And now when you break that up over five trades, now you're risking $110 a trade instead of $100 a trade. You do it that way, you size up appropriately, over time, you don't go like we we're saying before from risking $100 a trade to risking $1,000 a trade. If what you're doing works, if your edge of the market works, then you'll continue to have profitability. You'll continue to increase those those overall numbers. And eventually, what will happen over the course of 13 years? I'll be honest. The, when I see my PL swings now, the trader that I was 13 years ago when I first started in this business would. I, I, I would like, ha I'd have to like go throw up, honestly. I, I wouldn't, I would, like, these numbers would like, you know, my old account value moves sometimes in, in, in minutes. My entire original account value sometimes moves in, in literal minutes. And, you know, I, I kind of just shrug it off. Like it doesn't really matter to me anymore. But I didn't, I didn't jump 
from making and losing hundreds of dollars where that first paycheck I got was 700 bucks or whatever to making and losing tens of thousands of dollars a day in, in, in trading. That was a process over the course of 13 years, 14 years that, that got to this point of that slow incremental sizing up, becoming more and more comfortable with the numbers. And that's how I'm able to look at a PL swing that could be thousands of dollars that literally would have made me sick when I was a new trader. And, and just be like, all right, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> I love the idea of having to prove to yourself that you can size up. Like that is so important. And for you to get to the point where you're having tens of thousands of dollar price swings intraday, it's because it took 13 years of proving to yourself that you could get to that point. And the mistake that people make is they want – you know, maybe they hear this podcast and they hear, oh, you know, Derek, the, the pro trader is making tens of thousands of dollars a day. Oh, my God. Like, I, I got to – I bet I'm as good as him. But it's such a long process and it's so slow and you have to take it so slow and you have to be so patient. The rule you gave of focusing on the max loss I think is very, very important. Um, and just the overall concept of – you know when you're ready to size up, but even if you think you're ready to size up, the same discipline you have to have that you carry when, you know, whatever rules you set out for yourself. Maybe I'm, I only take max two trades a day or I only trade during these windows. That same discipline has to be applied to the amount that you're risking every trade and the amount uh, that you're putting on for any given trade. And so at the start of the week, what I do, I already know exactly how I'm going to size in every single trade, okay? It's not. It's no surprise. It's no like I go into, you know, the trading day and something looks really good. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go like heavier. If anything, I'll go smaller. So I'll leave that up to my discretion. But I have a max, right? Because I never want to get burnt on any given trade. And as I prove to myself that, okay, I'm trading good, I'm trading good, I'm trading good, then I can size up in small amounts. And we were talking about it earlier. You can have a stretch where you go two, three months trading lights out and then some flip or some switch uh, flips and you have no idea what the hell is going on. And if you're not able to recognize the fact that something has changed and that you need to really be on top of, okay, managing a drawdown, you're just going to give everything back. And so one of the first things that you mentioned and advice that you gave for new traders is to focus on the process. And there's such a rush to become like third, uh, you know, Derek, who's been trading for 13 years, like people who are in their first year want to be making a shit ton of money or just want to be having like six. It's just so unrealistic. And that's what gets people in the most amount of trouble. As you mentioned, your second paycheck or your first paycheck rather was $700. That just goes to show, like people nowadays, especially because of social media, because of Twitter, especially during you know the COVID bubble, seven hundred dollars was like n- nobody was doing jumping jacks for seven hundred dollars. Like that was like if you're only making seven hundred dollars a day trading, like you suck. Like that's literally what has been drilled into people's brains. And so it's so important for people just to be very, very patient. And I do appreciate the tips that uh, that you gave there. That was some really solid stuff. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of trash on the internet now about trading that people got to be very careful about. This is this is not a get rich quick scheme. This requires a lot of work. Trading is like 
sports. It's like being a professional athlete. And if you have never traded before, you've never, you know, it's your first week trading. You're not going to go out there and have a one-on-one with Michael Jordan and expect to be able to get a, get a shot off, let alone a basket, let, let alone win. It's, it's just not going to happen. It's experience. I don't consider myself necessarily smarter than anybody else or anything like that. I am very hardworking. I put a lot of work into this over the years, uh, but it's just the repetition of, of having done it for so long. And I can tell you, you know, just to talk a little bit more briefly on, on risk management, the, the two real keys to success in this business from what I've seen from my own trading and from working with at this point, probably hundreds of traders over the years, it's risk management and game planning. Those are the two keys to success. Risk management, set that loss number for yourself, $500, whatever it is, and never allow yourself ever to lose a dollar more than that amount. Show me someone who's doing that very consistently. Their losses never get out of control. I'm looking at someone who may become successful, provided that he can also be on the upside. You got that that discipline in place. And then the other thing is, is exactly what you were saying, Alejandro. I love what you said about how you're prepared for all your trades before you're in the trade, before the market opens. That's exactly what I do also. I'll take some trades on the fly when they come up, but for the most part, the best trades I have are trades that I have pre-researched, pre-game planned. I know what my size is going to be. I know what my risk is going to be. And then it then it's all about execution. It gets rid of the emotion, you know, and, and that used to be my biggest weakness as a trader was my emotional control, especially when I was a little bit younger. But it didn't matter. All I needed to do was follow what was on the piece of paper, follow the game plan that's on the piece of paper. How I feel about it doesn't matter. My PL being up or down doesn't matter. You thought this out pre-market. You came up with this game plan. It's written down. It's in front of you. Just follow what's on the piece of paper. Nothing else matters. The risk is already on. You're either going to lose that amount or you're not. And if it works out, you got to make sure that you're going to be there for the upside and then you're going to be there for the reward because that's the other problem that a lot of traders have is as soon as they see some green on the screen, they, they hit out. And in order to be successful, you have to keep that max loss the same, that $500 every single time on bad days. But you have to be able to pepper in days that are going to be a multiple of that downside. You got to be able to throw in that $1,000 day, that $2,000 day, that $2,500 day. Now, show me a trader and, and I just show me your, your trading runs. Show me a trader who every single month never loses more than that maximum loss. Every single month even just has three days of making a multiple of what that max loss is. Everything else is gravy. Make a few hundred bucks, lose a few hundred bucks. I'll show you a trader that's making money probably every month. It really just comes down to the numbers. So game planning, set yourself up with risk management and game planning where the the math and the numbers is actually going to make sense. That's what it comes down to. It's more important than trading style, trading approach, technical analysis, tape reading, all that stuff. It's all secondary to, to game planning and risk management, there are a million ways that you can make money as far as strategy goes in trading. And there's people who utilize all these different tools and become successful, but they all have the same things in common, risk management, game planning, and setting themselves up to be able to make a multiple of what they can lose. This episode is brought to you by Elite Trader Funding. ETF is a prop trading firm. For those of you who are unaware of what a prop trading firm is, they basically provide you with capital to trade with, and your only risk is the monthly subscription fee. How it works is once you pass an evaluation account, you then become eligible for real money payouts. 
Now, there are a lot of prop firms out there, but ETFs customer support, the products, and the styles of evaluations they offer are unmatched. I traded and passed a 150K evaluation account, and they were always willing to answer any questions I had along the way. I wish that I had been introduced to them when I first started trading. Thinking back to all the money I lost when I was new to the game, getting the chance to trade a large account while only risking a monthly subscription fee makes too much sense. Not to mention, if you're trying to trade a small-sized account, you can develop some pretty bad habits. Trading a funded account lets you really put your skills to the test by trading more realistic size. Head to the link in the show notes to start your journey as a funded trader today. I want to dive a little bit more into what it is that you're doing today. You talked about how um, you prefer to trade equities over options, over futures. And um, I mean, we've had, what is episode 80? We've probably had about 60, 65 different traders on here. One of my favorite parts of the podcast is getting to pick um, the brain of, of people who trade differently than I do. And we have had so many different styles and so many different um, approaches on the pod and so many different successful traders. And that just shows, goes to show, like you just said, it, it's not so much about the strategy. It's more so about managing risk X, Y, Z. Well, what exactly is it um, that you look for on a day-to-day basis? How do you approach the markets? Um, and more or less, what is your, what is your style, your strategy, um, your approach? Sure. So, so, so first of all, I, I love that, that you guys have had a lot of different types of guests on for your listeners. That's awesome. Uh, I don't really think that anyone can learn from only one person and exactly mimic that person and and become successful exactly like what that person is like. You need to learn from multiple resources and then put it together in the way that makes sense for you, for your personality, for for kind of who you are. Uh, So so for me, for my own trading, again, I'm 100% equity focused with what I do. I day end swing trade. So uh, my time frame on positions will be anywhere from, from minutes at the shortest to over a year at the longest if things really line up properly. Broadly, I would describe myself as probably 85% focused on technical analysis and 15% focused on fundamentals with what I do. My process starts pretty early in the morning, um, usually logging into the computer pre-market session somewhere between 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning, Eastern time. Um, I have swings open. And like we just talked about with game planning, all my swings already have a preset game plan. So I look at how the market set to gap up or gap down or if any of the stocks that I was swinging had news. And then I put bids or offers into the market for that stock, usually as soon as I wake up based on my preset game plan. I don't care that the market's not open. My game plan said I was supposed to buy some stock at this price. It's trading at this price. I'm, I'm buying it. Um, or, or, or the opposite, selling it, gapping in my favor. Game plan says this is where I'm supposed to book some profit. I'm selling some. So that's usually the first thing I do. From there, usually at about 7.30, really kicks off my my real research process. Uh, I work with a great team of traders, and we utilize a system called a a virtual trading floor that is uh, a T3 system. And and these days, we have switched. When when I first started with T3, we were were basically entirely in office for our traders. Uh, I spent the first 10 years of my career at T3 going into their downtown New York City office every day for 10 years. COVID changed our entire business. We're basically entirely remote for our traders now. And we utilize this virtual trading floor system in lieu of the physical desk. It works great. Traders are performing better generally. Uh, They're also happier because they're able to be anywhere in the country and and continue to do this business. And it's an awesome software. So we start getting research into that virtual trading floor at about 7.30 in the morning. I review every single stock that reported earnings, got upgraded, got downgraded, had news, 
I go through every single one of those stocks and I'm developing a watch list for myself for the day. Uh, I'm interested in XYZ stock at this level. If it gets to it, I put an alert into my, into my system. So if it gets to that point during the day and my alert goes off, it's flashing in front of me. Obviously, I'm also studying the market. I really take a top-down approach to markets. So I start big picture, S&P, NASDAQ, Russell 2000, really before I even get into any individual stocks. So I start with a broad game plan. All right, based on the, the technical daily levels of the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Russell, and how we're set to gap today, what's the broad game plan that I'm creating for myself? What are the probabilities of the market today going up versus down versus, versus sideways? Do I feel like I have a strong edge with the market itself? And that's the starting point. And then the individual stocks come in after. All right, the market's telling me, I think that we can create a pivot low yesterday and get upside continuation today. And I see that meta has been relatively strong and there's a big breakout level here. And if meta has good volume through the open, through that breakout level and the market's given upside follow through, things are coming together where I'll have a, a strong probability of success on buying that breakout in meta. Just kind of coming up with an example that actually may or may not be an example from today. Um, so, uh, so you know, we're we're looking at that at that breakout to to come in. It becomes on 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 the watch list, and I just go through every stock and I combine what the market's doing with these names in play. If if I feel really confident about the market, it doesn't the stock doesn't have to have news. I'm just basically trading the market, or even if I'm trading certain stocks, it's almost as a proxy to the market because that stock has relative strength and relative weakness to the market. Uh, or if the market's in a tough spot, sometimes I wake up and I look at the S&P and I'm like, the S&P is a coin flip here. And if it's a coin flip, I don't want to be involved in a coin flip. But this stock just reported earnings and that earnings report looks really good. And there's a beautiful technical level here. So I'm going to put that on my watch list and I'll focus on this name that'll be in play. And I don't need to focus on the market as much because the news will lower its correlation to the market. So I go through that process from about 7.30 to 9.00. I do a, a team morning meeting for my team at nine where I go through that for about 20 minutes. I tell everyone my game plan, I review with everyone why my thought process is what my thought process it is based on the, the technicals. Then I go to the stocks. Then I turn it over to the rest of the team for 10 minutes. What are you guys looking at? And it's an awesome team environment because they'll bring up ideas, including an, a couple ideas that I made money in today that were not on my radar, but a teammate brought it up to me and said, hey, what do you think about, about this stock? And I was like, oh, that looks really good. I'm going to add that to, to, my, to my watch list for the day. And by then, the market's about to open. And, and you know, 9.30 to 4 is game time. It's all about execution. Now, the, the game's already been won or lost, right, based on, on, on my research. And now it, it, it's about execution at that point. I love that. One of the things that I had to sort of learn the hard way that you, that you just described is trying to – trying to do all of that while the market is open, right? It's like, okay, well, it's 930 and I see that meta is breaking out, you know, and now I'm going to go in and, and try and find my level on meta and say, okay, well, you know what? This actually looks pretty good relative to the market as well. The market is showing strength. Let me get in there. I, I think that what, what can happen when you try and do that while the market is open is you wind up chasing things that you maybe shouldn't be in in the first place, right? Because it then it becomes emotional, right? It's okay, I think that meta's going to go up. I didn't do the work, so I'm really not sure. And now I see it going up, and now emotionally I feel like I should be in it, and so I buy calls and it reverses and I lose. Yeah. Right? And I think that's exactly what will happen when you don't game plan. You let your emotions do the do the execution for you, right? And that's really the worst place that you could be as a trader. And you, you can't be late. 
you know, you, you, most of the time I would rather not take a trade at all than be late to it because the, the risk reward at that point is, is a mess. It, it's not, you know, you're, you're executing late, you're getting a worse price. That means if in order, in order to trade it right, you have to take, you have to take on even more risk, like space risk, which means that if you want to take the same hundred dollars worth of risk, now you're taking even less size and you need to even get a big, bigger move to get that reward multiple on the risk. So I'm, I'm not going to say that I never get into stock late if I missed it. I will sometimes if it's if it's really compelling. But most of the time, if I had something on my radar, and this happens literally every day, by the way, where I've got something on my radar, it triggers. But I was trading something else. I couldn't get over to it in time. I missed the execution. I go, okay, I, I, I missed that one. You know, we, we get in our head as traders. Oh, my God, I missed the opportunity. Meta's breaking out. I need to I need to get it. I don't want to miss this one. We always need to remember, take a half step back. The market is an opportunity creating mechanism. You do not have to be in every trade every day in order to be able to make money in this business. And if you have that mentality of I can't miss a trade and then you're chasing things and you're late and you're emotional and your execution is bad, you're setting yourself up for failure. Just you, you, you missed meta today. Okay, well, maybe Apple's the one tomorrow. You know, like it, it, there's going to be more opportunities. It doesn't matter that you missed this one. Move on. Yeah, that happened to me this morning, actually. There was a really nice setup. I wasn't around the computer. I come back, I looked at the setup, and it was setting up, you know, per my plan. Like, it was a really good trade. And this is talking about ES Futures. We had rallied, like, 10 points. And immediately, my brain is like, oh, well, this still looks really good. Like, should I get in? And then I was like, dude, like, really? It, it, like, immediately, I was like, you know what? See you tomorrow. Like I didn't even, it's just like, so not even worth it to even take a trade like that. Like we could have rallied another hundred points. All right. And you just have to be, you have to kind of get to that point where, again, as you, as you mentioned, I love how you put it. The market is, uh, what would you say? An opportunity creating mechanism. That's just, that's what it is. Like there are opportunities everywhere. I missed it today. I bet you there's going to be something tomorrow. There's going to be something the next day. But where it becomes frustrating and how I think about my trading is I'm not necessarily, you know, as I aim to improve my trading, it's way less about finding like better trades or taking better trades. It's about eliminating the stupid decisions. Like the old me would have came in, would have seen that I missed the setup, would have still gotten in the trade because, oh, it looks like it's going to keep going higher. As you mentioned, my risk reward is terrible at that level that I'm entering now. I know that I, I should have been long 10 points ago. And if that trade then turns into a loss or at the very best, it turns into a small win. If I win that trade, it's going to create a bad habit. I'm going to end up doing that again. And the next time I do it, I'm probably going to lose. So it's really just about eliminating those stupid decisions, understanding that there's opportunity everywhere Understanding that picking and choosing your spots, at least for me, is the most crucial thing. Like when I think about my trading, I try to be very, very patient with the fact that I'm going to miss a lot of moves and it is completely irrelevant because my goal is to be doing this for a very, very long time. So when I'm Derek and I have 13 years of trading experience, I'm not going to remember that morning on July 5th where ES ripped 10 points and I missed it, right? But if I can develop those good habits early in my career, then I'm going to be able to 
compound faster. I'm going to be able to get to the point where I want to be faster. And that's not, you know, a quick process. It's a, I think how a lot of people treat it is that one trade, they see it as the opportunity to make money. Like that one trade is a must. You have to hit that one trade. You have to be in every winning trade because that's the only way to compound. That's the only way to make money versus if you're serious about this, it takes years and years and years of really developing a process, developing your skills before you get to that level of success that you want to get to. And it is process oriented versus how much money did you make today? How much money did you make this week? How much money did you make this month? It's more about how good were your decisions this month? How good were your decisions today? And that's how I try to improve my trading. Awesome. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Love that. All right, Derek, before we get out of here, um, one question that I always love to ask um, traders and, you know, particularly traders with the the level of experience um, that you've got is if you could go back and tell a younger Derek one thing about trading, what would that be? Um, That's a really good question. Uh, that 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 the market's going to go straight up for for ten years before, before the bear market's going to come in. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Is that that uh, that that obviously takes away the fun of the game? To be honest, is trying to figure this thing out from from a day to day basis. Right. I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I really think I did like most of the things right over the course of my career. There, there were certainly really difficult portions of it. But it was all—it was all part of the progression, and and I can't go back and tell myself to fast forward part of the progression. You know, and there were definitely times where I was spinning my wheels and you know not really advancing and and struggling with what my approach should look like or things like that. But it it, it it's all been part of the process that's kind of created me to be who I am today as a trader. So I, I don't. I don't really have a, a fantastic answer for you on that. Um, well, no. that that in itself is a pretty good answer to the question because for anybody who's struggling or who's going through you know a tough time or is in the point of their trading where things maybe aren't clicking, you basically just said, I wouldn't change anything because it molded you into the trader that you are today. So there's no, I think people are probably looking for you to answer the question to say, okay, avoid doing this one thing and you'll be a successful trader or do this one thing and you'll be a successful trader. But what it really is, is every person has a very unique experience. Every trader has a unique path to get to that next level. And so when I hear you answer that question, to me, that just says, as I was talking about earlier, be patient with the process. Understand that every day is an opportunity to learn, that every experience you go through is an opportunity to learn, the ups, the downs, everything is kind of one big learning process that slowly pushes you to that next level. So, you know, you, you didn't directly answer the question, I guess, but right. it wasn't, it was still a good answer. I do, I do think that having a community is important, especially, you know, as you're getting started. I mean, even when you're, when you're experienced, having a community of, of legitimate, which is the hard part, uh, like-minded individuals, just because again, there's, it's, it seems like there's, there's more kind of charlatans out there than there, there ever has been at this point. So, you know, I, I like to know that there's a degree of professionalism with the team that I'm working with. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, my team or T3 who, who I work with, but you know, for, as an example, I'm a licensed professional. I have to have a series 57 in order to do this. That, that means that I literally can't tell you something that's untrue. I can't say that I'm in a position that I'm not in because Finner and the SEC can, can actually seriously come, come down on me for that. 
So I think that, you know, being involved with a group of like-minded professionals, if you're trying to do this as a living, you're trying to be a professional. So you need to walk like a professional, talk like a professional, act like a professional, trade like a professional, and try to find yourself to be part of a, of a professional team. And uh, really do a lot of research when you're looking at maybe joining a certain group or, or whatever, because if you know what to look for, there, there's, there's certainly some, some red flags that can help you avoid things. So the last thing here, where can people find your team at T3 if, for anybody who's interested in maybe starting to trade with T3? Sure. So, so you can check out our, our website, which is t3trading.com. Uh, if anybody's interested in, in pursuing what, what, it, what it means to be a professional trader, you can email info at t3trading.com and somebody on, on the business development team at T3 will, will certainly get back to you. Uh, I also have a YouTube that people can check out. It's called Derek the Trader. Uh, trying to build that up a little bit. So, you know, hit the like, subscribe button, all that fun stuff. Uh, I, I actually live stream my team afternoon meeting that I do at, at 10 after four, Monday through Thursday on that YouTube. So if people want to have an idea of what the professional team is looking at on a day-to-day -day basis and get some education without necessarily jumping in at 110%, you can just start following along with the afternoon meetings on, on my YouTube. Awesome, Derek. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on the show. This was an amazing conversation. I mentioned when we first started that I was excited to get the chance to speak with a professional trader. I certainly learned a lot here and I hope that our listeners feel the same way. I wish you and your team nothing but the best of luck. And once again, thank you for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, Noah, another awesome episode. I'll see you next week for episode 81. Yep. Thanks again to Derek and catch you guys next week. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find in our podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise.